This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed. Thanks for joining me this week. Our hour of old-time radio crime begins with suspense this time. We're going to hear the mystery of Marie Roger from December 14, 1953. After that, it's Dragnet and The Big String. That story aired January 18, 1953. Autolite and its 98,000 dealers bring you Mr. Cornell Wilde in tonight's presentation of Suspense. Tonight, Autolite combines fact and fiction. The fact, the murder of Mary Cecilia Rogers in New York City. The fiction, Edgar Allan Poe's solution of that crime, which he called The Mystery of Marie Roget. Our star, Mr. Cornell Wilde. You uh, seen any engines around, Harlow? Engines, Sheriff? Why, I've seen thousands of engines, all equipped with Autolite Stay Full batteries for purring, powerful, and pleasing starts in all kinds of weather. Well, uh, these engines are off the reservation. And, uh, uh, there are no reservations about an Autolite Stay Full battery. It states right on the case, needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Well, these engines didn't like life on the reservation. Life? Why, the Autolite Stay Full battery has long life. Fiberglass retaining mats protect the power of every positive plate to reduce shedding and flaking and give that Autolite Stay Full longer life, as proved by tests conducted according to accepted life cycle standards. To quickly locate your nearest Autolite battery dealer who services all makes of batteries, just call Western Union by number and ask for Operator 25. I'll tell you where you can get an Autolite Stay Full, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. And remember, from bumper to taillight, you're always right with Autolite. Mary Cecilia Rogers was murdered in the vicinity of New York City in the summer of 1842. It was still an unsolved crime in November when The Mystery of Marie Roget was published. The author, Edgar Allan Poe. It paralleled in every essential detail the murder of Mary Rogers. Poe wrote it far from the scene of the atrocity with only the newspaper reports of the day. Nevertheless, the subsequent confession connected with the murder of Mary Rogers confirmed not only the killer named by Poe, but all the chief details by which he arrived at his identification. And now, Autolite presents transcribed Edgar Allan Poe's Mystery of Marie Roget, starring Mr. Cornell Wilde, hoping once again to keep you in suspense. Good evening. My name is Dupin. I should like to extend an invitation. Regard first a certain event which truly occurred in New York City on a warm summer night in 1842. Secondly, I invite you to employ your imagination and displace that same event intact with all of the essential facts to a cobbled old world Paris on an identical warm and fragrant summer night in the same year. Lastly, and most interesting... I should like to invite you to attend that event. It is a murder. The general design and mental character of the atrocity... Indeed, the first knowledge of its occurrence came to my attention on Wednesday night, the 25th day of June. Who is the prefect of police? I am, monsieur. Dupin? Yes, monsieur. Oh, thank you for coming, monsieur. I wasn't certain my messenger would find you. Uh, this way, monsieur. Uh. Please. Yeah, Andre, Andre, the lantern for Monsieur Dupin. Mm-hmm. She died harshly. Yes, yes. Beaten, choked, drowned. Oh, yes, yes. Quite harshly. Uh, uh. She was beautiful, Monsieur. 
Once, perhaps, yes. Still, Mademoiselle what? In life she had a name, in death she must also have a name. Any of you? I have asked, monsieur, but none of them know her. But her clothes and jewels say she was known to find. Good clothes, torn and disordered in her terrible struggle, but good. And the jewelry, not expensive, but tasteful. This woman, in my opinion, Dupin, was known. And loved, Monsieur the Prefect. No doubt. Uh, Dupin. Dupin, this is why I sent for you. I've been through these things before. The newspapers will write stories. The reporters will make conjecture. Although there is no name for her now, there will eventually be a name. And then, Monsieur, I will be called upon to produce her assassins. There is so little to go on. The eyes of the public will be upon me. And my honor is at stake. And my honor, too, monsieur, if I am involved in the investigation. Uh, Dupin, listen. <clears throat> there is a fund at the prefecture, a sizable fund, which I am authorized to use when uh, circumstances arise. Uh, for your services, I am willing to make a direct and liberal proposition. Dupin, you will help me find the answer to this woman's death. I cannot refuse. No form about the mouth, as in the case of the merely drowned monsieur. Here, bruises, impressions of fingers. It was a strangulation by hand and by discord, monsieur. Yes. Doctor? Yes, Dupin? An uh, ingenious knot in that cord, don't you think? Now, this is a slip knot, a sailor's knot. Sailor's knot. She was found in water. Why did she die, monsieur? Mm, for her beauty, perhaps. For her love, her hate. It was Sunday. Hmm? Observe, doctor, there are no marks to prove she was weighted and then shaken loose. Yes, she quit life on Sunday. Murdered in the dark, thrown into the river, unweighted. Monday, Tuesday, she remained, as a corpse will, on the bottom. And then on the third day, tonight, as a corpse will, she rose, and the fishermen saw her. It is the way of corpses violently made, so... Not only violent, but quick, near the river bank, somewhere. For what assassins could carry a burden like this long undiscovered, hmm? From a dark bridge, perhaps. No. No, too much light and people. There had to be a boat, Doctor. If she was dropped from a bridge or pushed in from the shore, the current might press her aside to be caught in the vegetation of the shallow water. She was murdered on the bank and then taken out to her grave in a boat. And there had to be a man who knew how to handle a boat in the tricky current. Who is there? It is I, the prefect. I have someone who thinks he may know her. Hmm. Come in, monsieur. Ahead of me, please. With your permission, Doctor, Monsieur Dupin, Monsieur Beauvais, Monsieur... How do you do? Monsieur Beauvais has been searching since Monday for news of a Marie Roger. Mademoiselle Roger is an employee of Monsieur Beauvais. Correct, Monsieur? Correct. Mm. I am a parfumeur. I called on her mother, Madame Roger, Monday when Marie did not appear at my shop. Madame informed me that Marie had left Sunday morning to visit her aunt at Rue des Drômes. She has not yet returned. I see. And what else? I cannot say, Monsieur. So far, I have ascertained that she never arrived at Rue des Drones, and indeed, no one has seen her since Sunday. Hmm. Can you describe Marie Roger? But of course, dark hair, almost black, dark eyes, tall, young, vibrant, a woman, monsieur, of great promise. Jacques Saint-Eustache, the last to see her, mentioned to me that Mademoiselle wore a frock of fine muslin, deep blue. I knew it well. A bonnet to match goes with it. Who is Jacques Saint-Eustache, Bovey? Monsieur Saint-Eustache is the accepted tutor of Marie Roger. He lodges and takes meals at the pension kept by Madame Roger. He was to have gone for his betrothed at dusk Sunday and to have escorted her home. In the afternoon it rained heavily, and supposing that she would remain at her aunt's, he did not think it necessary to keep his promise. She has stayed there under similar circumstances. And where is Jacques Saint-Eustache at this moment? Searching and anxious as I am for Marie Roger. It is three days since Sunday. Four days, really, but three that Marie Roger has been considered missing. Your search is tardy. I, I know, monsieur. Well? I am at your mercy. She has disappeared twice. 
Ah. The first time she disappeared was about three years ago. Her mother, her friends were unable to account for her disappearance. I was distracted with anxiety and terror. Did you notify the police? In that case, immediately, monsieur. But suddenly, Mary reappeared one fine morning after being absent a week. She was in good health and, well, with somewhat a saddened air, she explained she had spent the missing week with her relative in the country. Madame Roger, who was and still is infirm, recalled this to be a fact. And the matter was forgotten mm-hmm. until now. So you did not call the police the second time she disappeared? What has happened once can happen again. Mm-hmm. What did happen that week she was away? I do not know. I do not honestly know. But you doubt the story of visiting a relative? I will not say. Show him what we have, Doctor. If you will kindly step over here, Monsieur Beauvais. Hmm? Now, Monsieur Beauvais, if you please... Do you know this woman, monsieur? It is her. It is Marie Roger. It is her. Poor little Marie. Why does Bouvet cry, Dupin? Hmm? The girl only worked for him. Ah, he has not told us all. He is suspect, Dupin. And I will have a word with him. Huh? Say, but, but Dupin, why does he weep for a shop girl? A grisette who was promised to another. He weeps for youth and beauty. Yes, monsieur? I am Dupin, Madame Roger. May I come in? Oh, come. Come. Uh... No, no. Please sit, madame. I understand you are not well. I... I have been invalid ten years now. I will not consume a great deal of time. May I ask, did your daughter often visit relatives in other distant parts of the city? Often. And stay overnight? Often. With your approval, madame. She was and has been free of me since her 16th year. That is a very frank answer, madame. Uh, I can tell you nothing of what has happened to her. She leaves me on a morning with no enemies I know of. And do you know of her friends? Ah, I understand the intention of your remark. You refer to those besides Jacques. No, I, I know of none. I understand that uh, Jacques Santostache keeps rooms here. That is true. Yes, but he is no longer here. He left once he was informed of Marie's death. Where, I I do not know. But surely he understood that we would be by to question him? He was beside himself with grief. I cannot blame him. I see. Oh, I have been of no assistance where I would like to be. And yet... I knew something that morning. I knew she would not come back to her mama again. You knew she would not be back, madame? Did she take clothes, bid a longer goodbye? How did you know? I knew. I knew, monsieur. Death was very close to her that day. If you knew this, madame, why did you allow her to venture out? I... Stop her? No, no. If it is not met, death will arrange a meeting. If the meeting had been here, death might have visited me too. And I am yet afraid to die. is bringing you Mr. Cornell Wilde in Edgar Allan Poe's The Mystery of Marie Roget. Tonight's presentation in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. I got him, Harlow. An Indian, Sheriff? Nope. An Autolite stay full. 
The battery that says right on the case, needs water only three times a year in normal car use. That's the brand of battery for my car, by Ginger. You, you mean buy Autolite Stay Full batteries and you buy Ginger and Pep for a fast, dependable start every time. Fiberglass retaining mats surround each positive plate to reduce shedding and flaking and give the Autolite Stay Full longer life, as proved by life cycle standards. Oh, sounds like you couldn't buy a better battery with a pocket full of nuggets. So, friends... See your expert Autolite battery dealer for an Autolite Stay Full, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. To quickly locate your nearest Autolite battery dealer, who services all makes of batteries, phone Western Union by number and ask for operator 25. That's right. I'll gladly tell you the location of your nearest Autolite battery dealer. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now... Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Cornell Wilde in Elliot Lewis's production of Edgar Allan Poe's The Mystery of Marie Roget, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. Dupin, again. You will recall the event we have been attending in Paris. I invite you now to keep in mind the solemn fact that Marie Roger died violently, that her lover, Jacques Saint-Eustache, is missing. Where she died, who administered her death, for what reason remained to be known. Attend at this point another event, if you will, which was arranged by that zealous and righteous man, the prefect of police. Thank you for coming, Dupin. Uh, you have located the lover, Saint-Eustache? Saint-Eustache? <laughs> He's unimportant, I assure you. Somewhere right now, he drinks and tries to forget. But what I have here is important, most important. Uh, Madame Dulac, if you please. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. This is Madame Dulac. She has something of interest to tell you. And, uh, and I have something of interest to show you. Good evening, madame. I have maintained this tavern many years, right here, close to the bank of the river. No, 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 no fear with me, madame. I have no authority to do anything but respect your person and your thoughts. Oh. Now, what is this information? I saw a young woman here someday. Monsieur said it was Marie Roger. It was, definitely. Just a moment. Uh, Sunday, madame? Yes, mid-afternoon, later, perhaps. Where? Right here in my tavern. She arrived accompanied by a young man of dark, swarthy complexion. The two remained here for some time. On their departure, they took the road through some thick woods that way. Toward the river, Dupin. And this is a secluded neighborhood. Uh, go on, madame. Go on. Go on. Uh, soon after they left, a gang of miscreants made their appearance at my place of business. They behaved boisterously. They ate and drank without payment. Then left... And followed the route of the young girl and the young man that same way. I see. About dusk, this same gang reappeared and recrossed the river in great haste. I see. And you are certain it was Marie Roger? <laughs> Never fear. My men spoke with an unnoticed driver, a man named Valence, who knew Marie Roger. Uh, he claims he saw her cross the Seine on the Sunday afternoon in question with a swarthy man who fits the exact description of Madame. And what else, monsieur? Oh, I will show you. Come. I followed him through the back of the tavern into the thick woods which lined the Seine at that point. He stopped when we had come to a close thicket within which were three or four large stones forming a kind of seat with a back and footstool. Note, Dupin, a white petticoat here, here a silk scarf, parasol, gloves, pocket handkerchief. Inspect the handkerchief, Dupin. Thank you. You note the name Marie Roger embroidered there? Yes, yes. So this is the place she met her death. Well, of course it is. I have found it. Look, look, the earth is trampled where she struggled, and, and over here... Yeah, the bushes still broken. Every evidence of a terrible struggle. 
And here, here, the fence has been taken down, and the ground shows that some heavy burden was dragged along it toward the river. Well, come, come, look for yourself. Ah, what say you now? I am wondering. Wonder? Well, we have facts now, sir, important facts. Do you recall a strip of one of the unfortunate girl's petticoats had been tied about her mouth, uh, probably to prevent her screams? I do. This was done by fellows who had no pocket handkerchiefs. Miscreants, Dupin. Miscreants, such as those who visited Madame Dulac's tavern and later went the same way as Marie Roger and her companion. There are many such gangs about here. <laughs> All we have to do is locate them. And I know how to do that. That night, the shrill cries of the Paris newsboys proclaimed the prefect's resolve. He offered a reward of 20,000 francs and a full pardon for any king's evidence. It was an accepted conclusion that Marie Roger had been waylaid and slain by a gang of miscreants in the vicinity of Madame Dulac's tavern. Ah. Well, are you defeated, Monsieur Dupin? Now that I have solved the mystery of Marie Roger? No, monsieur. Oh, I have doubled the reward. Soon one of the miscreants will come forward, then you'll see. 40,000 francs should be temptation enough. 20,000 was temptation enough. Huh? No one will come forward, monsieur. A gang such as is hoped for would be composed of men who have never seen more than 100 francs at one time. 20,000 would bring all of them. If, if they had any knowledge of Marie Roger's murder. Oh, they're just waiting. You know that. Waiting? When each is in jeopardy because of the other? <laughs> we shall see, Dupin. Wait. It was one man. Huh? A man who dragged the body of Mademoiselle to the river's edge. A gang, even two men, could have carried it. A oh. gang would have lifted it over the fence easily. Instead of taking a fence down, as it was taken down, one man labored hard. Well, my conjecture is as good as yours. Uh, are you uh, talking of Santa Stache? No, mm. no. He is quite unguilty. Monsieur, allow me to point out that the newspapers, the police, all have identified themselves with what apparently happened. We must consider what did not happen. First... A gang did not set upon her and murder her. Secondly, Marie Roger had no intention of visiting her aunt at Rue des Drômes when she left her mother and lover last Sunday morning. Dupin, if you have confident information, explain yourself. I have the same information as you. Nothing else. You said she had no intention of visiting her aunt that day. Why do you say that? Monsieur, consider what might have happened if her intended, Jacques Saint-Eustache, had called for her at her aunt's and discovered she was not there, that she had not been there all day, he would have been chagrined, suspicious, angry. Saint-Eustache would have been all these. Something for Marie Roger to worry about when she returned home. But nothing to worry about if Marie did not intend to return home. Well, point to consider, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Go on. Consider that she kept the rendezvous instead. This we know. A rendezvous with a swarthy man. We have been told that by two witnesses who saw him. Now, monsieur, I ask you, as I have asked myself, did this swarthy companion allow Marie to be slain before his eyes? Or was he himself slain trying to help her? If so, where is his body? Well, he left her before she was set upon, obviously. Did he leave her alone in such a dark district? They quarreled. Indeed they did. Another question... Marie Roger's death is known everywhere in France. Why has he not come forward to help us clear up the mystery? Many reasons. Uh, yeah, perhaps he's married. He's left. He's uninformed. He's he has a swarthy complexion. A sea complexion. A well-attested fact. Now, accumulate that with the cord that was tied about her neck in a sailor's knot. Monsieur Dupin, I have not the... And the need of a skilled boatman to handle a boat on the river to dispose of the body. But it could be no, anyone. No, it could not. What? 
Marie Roger was a gay, not an abject girl. No common seaman for her. An officer, a naval officer, monsieur. Like the one who might have led her into a false elopement the first time she disappeared. Three years passed. The approved time for a French man of war to consume encircling the globe. The officer returns. Thinking of the same coquette, Marie Roger. The same bargain. What he has managed to do once, he can do again. Hmm? Marie meets him Sunday for this purpose. Then she thinks the better of an elopement and refuses to accompany him. Santa Stash has captured her love. Her former lover slays her in quick anger. He drags her body to the river, commandeers a boat. Where do I find him? On whatever ship has arrived from the world cruise. His name? What is his name, Dupin? Inquire for the name of the young officer who has applied for leave to get married. But there must be many such among a ship's complement returning after a long cruise. Agreed. But, Monsieur le Prefect, there is only one naval officer who has returned to his ship without a bride. Oh. Andre! Andre! We leave at once for the naval yards. It has been an interesting evening. Hmm? And now I issue a last invitation, my friends. I invite you to retain all that you have heard and employ this time Instead of your imagination, your sense of reality. For Marie Roger of Paris was truthfully Mary Rogers of New York. Let your reality move you back to New York City on a winter day some months after the event described. In the darkening afternoon inside a gray stone building, I invite you to attend another event I think you will find significant. Ensign Robert Bryant Wilson. You have been found guilty of the murder of Mary Cecilia Rogers. It is the judgment of this court that you be hanged by the neck until you are dead. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Cornell Wilde. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for Autolite, the world's largest independent manufacturer of automotive electrical equipment. In 28 plants from coast to coast, Autolite makes over 400 products for cars, trucks, tractors, planes, boats, and industry. These products include bumpers, die castings, industrial thermometers, and batteries, such as the famous Autolite Stay Full. Ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs, both standard and resistor types. Voltage regulators, wire and battery cable. Autolite bullseye sealed beam units. And Autolite original service parts for all Autolite electrical systems. Autolite is proud to serve the greatest names in the industry. So, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. Next week, one of the most terrifying half hours ever presented on Suspense. A young couple and a mad woman. And what happened to them on a country road. Our star, Mr. Frank Lovejoy. That's next week on Suspense. Suspense is transcribed and directed by Elliot Lewis. With music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Love Gluskin. Edgar Allan Poe's The Mystery of Marie Roget was adapted for Suspense by E. Jack Newman. In tonight's cast, John Daner was heard as the Prefect of Police. Others in the cast were Lou Merrill, Jeanette Nolan, Paula Winslow, William Johnstone, and Edgar Barrier. And remember, next week, Mr. Frank Lovejoy in On a Country Road. You can buy Autolite Stay Full batteries, Autolite Original Service Parts, and Autolite Standard or Resistor Type Spark Plugs at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. 
This is the CBS Radio Network. Sound off for Chesterfield. Chesterfield, the only cigarette in America to give you premium quality in both regular and king size, brings you Dragnet. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a homicide detail. A man walks into your office and tells you he returned to his home to find that his wife was gone. She left no indication where she was going. Foul play is suspected. Your job, find her. The modern way to sell cigarettes is the Chesterfield way. Premium quality in both regular and king size. And we're the only one that does it. Premium quality in a cigarette means the world's best tobaccos, the best ingredients, the best cigarette paper. Only Chesterfield gives you this premium quality in both popular sizes. King-size Chesterfield contains tobaccos of better quality and higher price than any other king-size cigarette. That's certainly important to every king-size smoker. Of course, it's the same fine tobacco as in regular Chesterfield. There is absolutely no difference except that king-size Chesterfield gives you more than a fifth longer smoke. Yes, the modern way to sell cigarettes is the Chesterfield way. Premium quality, both regular and king-size. Chesterfield is much milder. Chesterfield is best for you. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Tuesday, July 7th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of homicide detail. My partner is Frank Smith. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name is Friday. I was on my way into work, and it was 4.58 p.m. when I got to room 42. Homicide. John, are you? Yeah. Been here long? No, I just got in. Sure a beautiful day, isn't it? Yeah, summer's really here, isn't it? This daylight saving time makes a difference. Got a lot more time, seems like. Made me think about my vacation. Well, you're doing a couple of weeks, aren't you? Yeah, first part of August. Mm-hmm. Figured out where you're going yet? Yeah, Faye and I talked it out. You know, Joe? Oh, what's that? I think maybe I had Armin figured wrong. Armin, that's your brother-in-law? Yeah. Mm-hmm. This year, Faye and I got to talking where we're going to spend the vacation. Faye wants to go up to Big Bear. I'm saying Mexico. Yeah. You know, I figure a little fishing. I hear the yellows are hitting pretty good. The what? Yellowtails. Oh, yeah. You don't fish much. No, today, I don't Joe. fish at all. You know. Well, they're supposed to be hitting pretty good, but Faye can't see Mexico. And darn if old Armin doesn't chime in and say he thinks Mexico's a great idea. Well, that's swell. Yeah. Tells Faye all about the beaches down there and how good the food is, all about the air, healthy. You know, really sells her. So that's where you're going, huh? No, Faye didn't buy it. It's going to the mountains. Well, fishing's supposed to be pretty good up there, too, isn't it? That's what I read, I guess. I, don't I know. suppose so, but... Old Armin, how do you like that guy? He sure surprised me. Yeah, maybe he's going to work out, huh? Yeah. I'll get it. Okay. Homicide Friday. Yes, sir, it is. I beg your pardon. Could you talk a little louder? Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Well, when was that? I see. When? Yes, sir. What was that address again? All right, I have it. Yes. Yes, sir, that's right. We'll be right out. Right, bye. Well, we got one to roll on. Kidnapping out in Hollywood. The man on the phone gave his name as Henry Wagner. He said that he'd come home from work and found that his wife was gone. He said on the phone that he'd found a note demanding ransom and cautioning him against calling the police. 5.22 p.m. Frank and I arrived at the house on Temple Hill Avenue. We parked the car down the street from the house and went up to the front door. Frank would remain in the car for a few minutes and then follow. In that way, if the kidnappers were watching the house, 
they wouldn't be as likely to know that we were working on the case. I rang the bell and waited. Yes, you're the police? Yes, sir, that's right. My name's Friday. Oh, hello. Come in, please, quickly. I don't want them to see you. Who's them, sir? The kidnappers. They might be watching. I don't know what I'm going to do. Terrible thing to have happen. Just doesn't make sense. All right, now, sir, if you just try to calm down and tell me what happened here, we want to start right from the beginning. All right. I got home from school about 4.30. Myra wasn't here. I looked at the house for her, figured, like you said on the phone, that she might have gone to the store. Uh-huh. When I couldn't find her, I started looking for a note. That's when I found the ransom demand right there on the coffee table. And you said you got home from school, is that it? Yes, I teach political science at the university. Well, when did you last see your wife? When I left this morning, about 7.30. I have a class at 8. Have you talked to her since? Yes, I called her about 1.15. Did everything seem all right then? I mean, did she seem to be upset, anything like that? No, no, everything seemed to be normal. Did she say if there was anyone with her when you talked to her? No, if there was, she didn't give any indication of it. I see. I know that this isn't a hoax, if that's what you're thinking. I know that Myra wouldn't do a thing like this. She's a serious woman. I guess you might say that she had a rather dull sense of humor. No, I know that she wouldn't do a thing like this as a joke. Well, no, sir, it's not that. I'm just trying to get all the facts here. What if I could see the note? Yes, I left it over here on the desk. That'll be my partner. I'll let him in if it's all right. Wagner, it's my partner, Frank Smith. How do you Hello, do, Mr. sir? Wagner. How do you do? I'll get the note. Well, I'd rather you wouldn't handle it anymore, sir. Oh, all right. You going to try to get some fingerprints from it? Is that right? Well, that's the idea, yes, sir. You read it, Joe? Yeah, it's made up of newsprint. It's been cut out of the paper. Looks like one of the morning papers. Yeah. I'll read it to you. It says, put $10,000 in fives, tens, and twenties in the shoebox. Make sure the bills are unmarked on July 8th. Drive up Deer Canyon Drive at 10.30 p.m., five miles past the turnoff. You'll see a white string across the road. Drop the shoebox out of the car, go on back home. Your wife will be returned. Don't tell the cops. If you tell anybody, we'll kill your wife. Deer Canyon Drive. Yeah, you know, it's up above Laurel. Oh, yeah. $10,000. Do you have that kind of money, Mr. Wagner? No, sir. I don't know how I'm going to raise it. I have to, but I don't know how I'm going to do it. Have you noticed anyone lately that's been in the neighborhood here? I mean, anybody loitering around without any reason to be here? No, I haven't. Of course, you must understand I'm not home a great deal. But Myra didn't say anything about it. I'm sure she would have if she'd seen anybody like that. You and your wife have any enemies that do a thing like this, would you know? None that I can think of. you have any household help? I beg pardon? Household help. Anyone that comes in to help your wife with the housework, you know, a day maid, something like that. Well, there's Betty Jo. She comes in once a week to clean up the house. When was she last here? Let me see. That was Saturday. That's her usual day. Saturday, I guess it was then. Didn't you see her last week? No. You see, I had to go out by Pomona this last weekend. Series of lectures I wanted to catch. I left early Saturday morning, didn't get back until late that night. Did your wife go with you? No, she stayed at home. She had a little touch of the virus and figured she'd better stay at home and take care of it. Are you sure this is the right thing to do? Maybe I should have handled this myself. No, sir, you did the right thing. I wonder if you could give us a description of your wife, Mr. Wagner. Why? You aren't going to tell anyone else about this, are you? No, sir. The information will be handled in the usual confidential manner. Oh. Well, I guess you men know what you're doing. All right, sir, if you'd just give us a description, if you could... Well, Myra is about five feet three. I guess she weighs about 130 pounds. Mm-hmm. How old is she, sir? 42. Just turned 42. Birthday last month, June 14th. How about the color of her hair? Sort of an auburn, I guess you'd call it. A little, little gray up in here, along the sides. Mm-hmm. Would you know what she was wearing? No, I wouldn't have the slightest idea. I don't know her clothes well enough to be able to look at what's in her closet and tell you what she had on. Mm-hmm. How about Mark's? I don't think I understand. I'm sorry. I mean, any visible birthmarks or scars, anything that might make it easier to identify her? No, I don't think so. Oh, wait a minute. There's a very small scar just under her ear right here. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, Myra and I went fishing up in the Sierras. Myra got a trout fly caught there. When they took it out, it left just a very small scar. But I don't think you'd be able to see it unless you were really looking for it. Mm-hmm. Anything else outstanding about her? No, there isn't. I wonder if we could have a photo of her. Do you have one? Of course. Why don't you give us the address of this Betty Joe? Surely. I think Myra kept it in the phone book. I'll look for you. Do you think they'll really do it, officer? Kill Myra? Well, we're going to try to stop him, sir. I don't think so. Well, how about the money? Should I get it together? Not a lot of time if I have to meet them tomorrow night. We'll take care of that. Here's the address. Thank you, sir. I don't know what I'll do if they hurt Myra. I just don't know. It's odd, isn't it, Sergeant? What's that? Myra and I have been married for 22 years. I guess I always just took her for granted. Haven't been separated at all during that time. Just took it for granted. Yes, sir. I guess you have to lose something before you know what it's worth. 5.43 p.m. We asked Mr. Wagner not to touch anything in the house. We told him that after his wife had been returned, 
and our men could move safely about the neighborhood, the house would be gone over for physical evidence. Two men came out from the office, and a stakeout was placed on the house. The note was taken downtown and photographed. Dean Bergman lifted several clean prints from it. However, comparison with those taken from Mr. Wagner eliminated them. The maid, Betty Joe, was contacted, but she could tell us nothing. In the meantime, Sergeant J. Allen at the crime lab prepared a shoebox as directed by the abductors. Dummy packages of money were placed in the box, and the container was wiped clean of all fingerprints. The area where the meat was to take place was staked out. The following morning, Wednesday, July 8th, Henry Wagner went to teach his classes at the university as usual. Late in the afternoon, he returned home, and at 9.45 p.m., he got into his car and left the house. I'd gotten into the back seat of the car earlier, and I kept out of sight. In an undercover unit behind us, Frank, Lieutenant Gorham, and Gil Encinas kept us under observation in the event that we missed contact with the kidnappers. 10.26 p.m., we turned off Benedict Canyon onto Deer Canyon Drive. I hope I'm doing the right thing. I can't help thinking of what they might do to Myron. I'll try to take it easy, Mr. Wagner. We know how you feel. Everything that can be done has been taken care of here. That's what you've been telling me for the past hour. It doesn't make me feel any better about what's happening. Can you still see that car behind us? No. I think they dropped back when we turned off Benedict. Uh-huh. How's it look up ahead? Can't see much. Dark. How far off the canyon have we come? About four and a half miles. You got your box right there ready to throw it out? <laughs> Yes, sir. Right here on the seat. I right, now remember, when you toss it out, try to lift it by the strings. Right, I'll remember. I just hope we're doing the right thing. I'll never forgive myself if anything happens to Myra. $10,000 just isn't worth it. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. There it is. String across the road. See anybody around it? No, so dark. I can't see anything but what's in front of the car. How close are we to the place here? About 50 or 60 feet. All right, now take it slow. Don't give any indication that you aren't doing exactly what they told you to. And remember, don't handle that box. Hold it for the string. All right. We're here. I'm throwing the box out. All right, now close your door. What now? Go up the road a little, and then turn around and drive back. Act like everything is just the way they told you to handle it. All right. Take it easy now. We can turn around here. All right. You see anyone move for the money? No, not yet. Maybe when I get turned around. Just a second. There's a driveway here. It's pretty dark back there. All right. Can you see anything at all? Nothing there. I don't see anyone. All right. Now just keep driving. If there's anybody to pick up the money, it'll look better if you don't cause any trouble. I don't know about all of this, Sergeant. Somehow I still can't get the idea out of my mind that we've done the wrong thing. That they know all about it, and that they're going to kill Myra. Well, there's no reason that they should know that there's anything wrong, Mr. Wagner. From what they can see, you're doing just what they told you. They got nothing to tell them any different here. But what if they found out? What if they know that you're working on the case? What if they know about it? They might kill Myra. I'd never forgive myself. I never should have told you about it. I should have taken care of it myself. They'll kill her. I know they will. They'll kill her because you're working on it. The way it is now, she hasn't got a chance. No, you're wrong there, Wagner. Hmm? The odds are on her side now. 10.45 p.m. Henry Wagner and I left the meeting place. About a mile down Deer Canyon Drive, Wagner dropped me off, and then he started down Benedict Canyon Drive and continued on home. I met with Frank, Lieutenant Gorham, and Sergeant Gil Encinas, and we started back on foot. We cut off the road and waited on the hill overlooking the meeting place. Frank told me that they'd see no activity on the road while Wagner and I were making the meet. We moved in closer. 11.30 p.m., no sign of the kidnappers. The moon came up and we could see the white string across the road. In a patch of manzanita, we could see the shoebox containing the dummy packages of money. We waited. Midnight, 1.30 a.m., still no sign of the kidnappers. 2.30, 4. At 4.45 a.m., the sun came up and Frank and I left the area. Lieutenant Gorham and Sergeant Gil Encinas continued to stake the meeting place. If the kidnappers had been in the vicinity, we'd miss them. Our only course now was to wait for them to contact Henry Wagner again. 8.15 a.m., Frank and I checked out and went on home to take a shower and get something to eat. At 11.12 a.m. Thursday morning, we checked back into the office. Rough night, huh? Yeah, there's nothing to show for it. Anything from Gorman and Encinas? No, I don't see anything. There's one thing I found out. What's that? I need a heavier coat for nights. Yeah. So on ad in the magazine, advertise those English duffel coats. Look real good. What? Duffel coats. Warm in the North Atlantic during the war. You know, Joe, they're real heavy. Got a hood that comes up. Should be real warm. A hood? Yeah, you know, like a monk wears. 
And you aren't wearing it, look just like a collar. So when it gets cold, you raise up the little gimmick, and there you are, warm as anything. You know, Frank, somehow I just can't see you in there. Yeah? Well, I noticed you weren't any too warm last night. Next time we do duty like that, I'm going to be ready for it. Yeah. Just like a monk. I'll get it. Homicide Friday. Yes. Oh, yes, Mr. When was that? Uh-huh. Yes, sir, right away. Well, that's it. Huh? The Wagner woman. She's home. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. Friends, you'll remember some months ago we read you our first report, the six-months report on the effects of smoking. Then more recently, we read you the eight-months report. Now, here is the latest one. The full ten-months report confirms again. No adverse effects on the nose, throat, and sinuses of the group from smoking Chesterfields. This from a medical specialist who is making regular bi-monthly examinations of a group of people from various walks of life. Forty-five percent of them have smoked Chesterfield for an average of over ten years. After ten full months, the specialist reports he observed no adverse effects on the nose, throat, and sinuses of the group from smoking Chesterfield. That's the report. Buy much milder Chesterfield, regular or king size. The cigarette that's best for you. Eleven thirty a.m. Frank and I drove out to the Wagner home. The officers on stakeout told us that Mrs. Wagner had walked into the house at about eleven o'clock that morning. As soon as she'd gotten inside the house, she collapsed. The family doctor had been called, and she was treated for shock. Other than some scratches on her arms and around her face, she was unharmed. The officers told us that they'd been unable to interrogate her so far. We talked to the doctor, and he told us that we could talk to her until the sedative took effect. Honey, these are policemen. They want to ask you a few questions. What? Police officers, honey. There's Mr. Friday, and there's Mr. Smith. Oh, yes. They want to ask you some questions, dear, about the people who took you. Oh, all right. We won't take very long, Miss Wagner. That's all right. I, I want to help you get them. All right, now, if you just tell us how it happened. How it happened? Yes, ma'am. Sergeant, you have to do this now. Maybe later when she's rested. Well, I'm sorry, Mr. Wagner. We haven't got much choice here. We'd like to get to the people who did this. If we wait until later, we might not be able to get them. Yes, I didn't think of that. Well, if the doctor says it's all right, go ahead. Ms. Wagner? Yes? Do you know the people who did it? The people who took you? No. you never seen them before? No, never. All right, now, could you just tell us what happened? I guess so. They came to the door about 2.30. Who were they, ma'am? Well, I just saw a man. Later, when we got into the car, there was a woman, too. All right, go ahead. They told me that Henry had been in an accident, that he'd been hurt, that he was at the hospital. Said they wanted to take me to him. Yes, ma'am. I didn't know any different. I went with them. I thought that Henry was hurt. I didn't know any different. You have to do this, officers. She's home, safe. That's all I care about. That's all that's important. Why don't you let her get some rest? Then you can talk to her, talk as much as you want to. But please, you can see what this is doing to her. Yes, sir. Now, look, this isn't easier on us. We've got a job to do here, like we had when she was gone. We know how you feel, but we'd like to get to those people. It's all right, Henry. I'm all right, dear. Where'd they take you, ma'am? First, I think they were going to take me to a house near here. I, I didn't notice the street, but it was near here. I'm sure of that. Then when we got near there, I, I knew that something was wrong, that they weren't going to take me to Henry like they said. I knew it then. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I told them to let me out of the car. Said that they'd better let me go. Mm -hmm. The woman, she was in the back seat with me, said for me to keep my mouth closed. I tried to get out the door and she hit me. Then the two of them got into an argument. The man started to yell at the woman that it wasn't any good, that they'd better forget the whole thing. And the woman said that they'd gone too far for that now, that they, they had to go through with it. Uh-huh. Well, then they put a blindfold on me. Tied my hands and blindfolded me, and then they started to drive. Well, at any time, did either of them use a name, you know, in talking to each other? No, I don't think so. At least if they did, I don't remember it. Uh-huh. Go ahead, Miss Wagner. Well, I, then they started to drive. I couldn't see where they were going, but I know that they headed out the Arroyo Seco toward Pasadena. I could tell from the way we went. Then I heard the woman talk about the turnoff to get on the Seco. Right then, the man told her to shut up. Yes, ma'am. We drove for quite a while and then stopped. They made me get out and took me into a house. Did you have any idea where you were at the time, ma'am? No, I didn't. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, ma'am. Well, they took me into the house and put me in a room, tied me up. I couldn't move, couldn't do anything. 
They locked the door, and I could hear them arguing in the next room. The man was really telling the woman off, said that she was a fool, that she'd really botched the whole thing up. I see. That night, they brought in a plate of food, told me it was time to eat. All there was were some prunes. That's what they fed me all the time I was there, prunes. Never did take the blindfold off. Was there anything at all that would let you know where you were? Oh, a couple of things. They're probably kind of silly, but maybe you can make something out of them. What's that, ma'am? Well, there was a clock that was in the room where they had me, one of those chime clocks, told every 15 minutes, like Westminster chime. Yes, ma'am. I don't think it was a very big clock. Chime sounded small. Mm-hmm. Then there were the trains. Trains? Yes, every once in a while I'd hear trains going past. Sounded like they were near, maybe a couple blocks away, not much more than that. But do you think that you could give us a description of the man and woman, Miss Wagner? Yes, I think so. First, I was so upset with thinking that Henry was hurt that I didn't notice, but I think I can describe them for you. All right, ma'am, that'll be fine. There's one thing, though. What's that? I'd be positive if I saw them. <laughs> Twelve noon, we continued to talk to the Wagner woman. She gave us a description of the man and woman who had kidnapped her and a description of the car they'd used. We called the information into the office and a local and an APB were gotten out. We ran the description through R&I, but we got no make. 2.45 p.m. As one of the possibilities for identifying the locality described by Mrs. Wagner, Frank and I left the house and drove to the office of one of the milk companies in the city. We talked to the driver that handled the area in which Mrs. Wagner said the kidnappers were going to stop. He couldn't identify the man and the woman from the description. We checked two more milk companies, and on the third, we got a tentative identification. The driver of the route told us that we could be asking about a Mr. and Mrs. Thomas Harper, he thought. He gave us their address, and Frank and I drove out there. On the way, we called the names into R&I and had them make a check for us. They said they had a record on a Thomas Harper who answered the description. He'd served time in San Quentin and in Folsom penitentiaries. He'd been sentenced both times for armed robbery and ADW. There was no record on Mrs. Harper and no wants at the present time for her husband. 5.57 p.m. Better try it again, huh? All right. Probably aren't in. Mm -hmm. There's a car park down the street here. Could be theirs. Checks on that description we got from the Wagner woman. Yeah, I think somebody's coming. Yeah, what do you want? You Thomas Harper? Yeah, that's right. Police officers would like to talk to you. What about? Just like to talk to you. All right, come on in. Who is it, Tom? Cops. What do they want? Say they want to talk. I don't know what about. Just a routine investigation. Who are you trying to kid? What do you mean by that, Harper? Somebody's done something, you need a pigeon. I got a record, so I'm right for you guys to lean What's on. What's the matter? You got something to worry about? Not a thing in the world, but I know you guys, you're going to try. What do you want, anyway? You people tell us your activities for the past four days? What for? Just tell us, will you? Yeah, tell us. You got an angle where you wouldn't be here. You're trying to pin something on us, and you know it. You want to tell us what you've been doing? We haven't left the house at all. Can you prove that? Prove it to who? You? You got no right to come in here and ask a lot of questions. She's right. You haven't got any right to do that. Either you pull us in or you get out of here. All right, Harper. I'm getting ready to leave anyway. We'll see you later. Yeah, let's go, Frank. Right. You better call the office and have the house staked. As soon as Ms. Wagner feels better, we'll have her see if she can make an identification here, huh? I don't think that'll be too hard, Joe. Hmm? Found this bill from the gas company on the table in there. Yeah? House in Pasadena. Harper's mugshot had been pulled and sent to the Wagner home for identification. Mrs. Wagner was still under sedatives. 7.15 p.m., Frank and I drove out to Pasadena. We got in touch with the police department out there, and two officers were assigned to accompany us to the address on the gas bill. The house was unoccupied, and there were advertising papers strewn all about on the lawn. With the officers, we entered the house and went through it. In some of the rooms, there were pieces of furniture, and in the living room of the house, we found a mantel clock that chimed on the quarter hour. On an end table, we found a ball of white string that looked like the same type that had been used to mark the meeting place up on Deer Canyon Drive. In one of the back bedrooms, we found prune seeds scattered around on the floor. A stakeout was arranged on the house. We contacted the men watching the Harper residence and found that the suspects were still there. 9.56 p.m., Frank and I arrived back at the Harper home in Hollywood. The lights were out and the house was dark. Frank went around to the back of the house. Yeah? What do you want this time of the night? Did you guys ever give up? All right, Harper, let's get dressed. We want to talk to you downtown. You tying a pinch to me? You called it. For what? Kidnapping. You're out of your mind. Come on, get dressed. Who is it, honey? Cops say we kidnapped somebody. What? Fuzz has an idea we kidnapped somebody. You're kidding. Afraid not, Miss Harper. You better get dressed, too. 
Anybody else in the house? Yeah, we take in board. Don't get smart. Where's that door go? Bedroom. Just the one bedroom here? That's right. We're roughing it. Just the kitchen over here? Yeah. All right, come on. How about the bath? In there. All right, we'll all go. Come on. All right. Let's go back to the kitchen. This door go out the backyard? You're a cop. You figure it out. Okay, Frank. Everything all right in there, Joe? Yeah, fine. You ain't kidding about this kidnap thing, are you? No, nope, let's go. It makes you figure it might be us. You got a house in Pasadena? Why do you ask that? Have you got one? No. You're lying. Property records in Pasadena say you have. We checked the house. Matches the one we're looking for. All right? That's right. We got the woman you kidnapped. She's identified your picture, you and your wife. She couldn't identify me. I haven't got a record. You ain't taking me no place. Frank, get out of my way. Hold it. Hold it right there. All right, come on. On your feet. Yeah. No, shake. He's clean. Hands behind you. I told you what had happened. I told you we should let it go right away. I told you. Oh, shut up. You and your bright ideas. Ten grand easy. You and your bright ideas. Well, look what it got us. Look, Buster. You didn't yell when you thought of getting your hot little hands on that dough. You were all for it then. Well, we lost. What do you want me to do about it? Break down and ball? Should have known. Should have known from the beginning. I had nothing but trouble with you from the start. Always wanting something easy. Always wanting big money. Never satisfied. That's the trouble with kids. Bad losers. Great winners, but bad losers. Well, you're a big boy now. You lost. That's all there is to it. Stop whining. Easy for you to say. If you get through with me, I'll be in for life. You got no record. She has now. Let's go. <laughs> The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On November 10th, trial was held in Department 98, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Now, here is our star, Jack Webb. Thank you, George Fenneman. Friends, only the modern cigarette, Chesterfield, gives you this scientific evidence on the effects of smoking. No adverse effects on the nose, throat, and sinuses of the group from smoking Chesterfields. And only the modern cigarette, Chesterfield, gives you premium quality in both regular and king size. Now, I know Chesterfield is best for me and best for you. Buy them, regular or king size. Either way, they're much milder to give you all the pleasure the modern cigarette can give. Thomas Fenton Harper was tried and found guilty of kidnapping. He was sentenced to life imprisonment in the state penitentiary, Folsom, California, without possibility of parole. His wife, Alice Mabel Harper, received a like sentence and is now in the California Institution for Women, Corona, California. Ladies and gentlemen, would you give a few dimes to help a child out of the smallest prison in the world, an iron lung? Well, that's what you're doing when you join the 1953 March of Dimes. Remember, crippled children are depending on your help. So give your dimes and your dollars to the 1953 March of Dimes. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Virginia Gregg, Jonathan Hole. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. Sound off for Chesterfield. Either way you like them, regular or king-size you'll find premium quality Chesterfields much milder. Chesterfield has brought you Dragnet transcribed from Los Angeles. it for Case Closed this week. I hope you enjoyed our selections this time. You can find more from Suspense and Dragnet, past episodes of Case Closed, and thousands of other old-time radio episodes at relicradio.com. 
Shoutcast stream is up and running there as well, and you can help support this and all of the shows by clicking on one of the links on the website or visiting donate.relicradio.com. Your support makes it all possible. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me this week. Be back next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed. Case Closed.